In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over, yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelf. On the day I turned 15, I went to the Brendan Byrne Arena at the Meadowlands in New Jersey to see legendary hard rock band Whitesnake. It was one of those shows that solidified as a formative memory of my heavy metal-filled teenage years. You could imagine my excitement then when current Whitesnake guitarist Joel Hoekstra agreed to an interview with me through a short exchange of Instagram direct messages. Why did I reach out to Joel? As a longtime follower of his, it dawned on me as I was finishing up the manuscript for Forever Employable, that he embodied many of the qualities I promote in the book. In this episode, I talked to Joel about his success and where it comes from, about his hard work and dedication, about building a community and platform and network around himself that continues to produce new opportunities regularly. In a sense, Joel has spent his whole career working towards becoming Forever Employable. Listen to the episode now and see how he's done it. When did you realize guitar was your passion? Pretty much from the time I had an electric guitar and took my first lesson, just learning a rock song. And then that was really like the first time it kind of clicked that music lessons weren't always just like a form of discipline or torture. Because prior to that, it had always been classical with my parents. They had started me on cello at three and piano at the age of seven. and. I just want to play baseball. I was like, what's happening here? I don't want to be doing any of this. And then when I first started guitar, just for a brief minute, I got my stepmom's old acoustic and they put me with a folk guitar teacher who was kind of teaching me out of one of the method books. And I was like, man, this isn't like the guy in ACDC who I want to be. There's a disconnect. And thankfully, my friend knew some rock songs. I went over to his house. He had an electric and he was playing like Black Sabbath and Ozzy. And I was like, well, how'd you learn how to do that? I mean, it was like there was a hole in the sky for me. It's like, I mean, it was really literally that much of a right. revelation. And he was like, oh man, I take from this guy up at the mall here, blah, 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 at this store and he'll teach you rock songs. And so I started taking from that guy and boom, yeah. I was like changed my life because he just taught me a rock song week after week. And it was immediate. I mean, as soon as I learned how to play a little bit of rock, it was like, that was it. That's what I wanted to be doing. How old were you? 11. Sorry. After all that, I never said the age. Yeah. 11. That's amazing. And that wasn't in New York, right? No, that was in the suburbs of Chicago. Got it. Cool. And so how long after that was your first gig? I think my first gig was 15 years old, my first band. And it was a talent show at the Drummers High School. And it was one of those where they were literally bringing the curtain down and they'd bring the curtain up and I mean, that curtain came up and I was so scared I couldn't move my feet. I mean, they were just like <laughs> glued to the, the stage. I had zero ability to feel not nervous or to move around or anything. I mean, I was just terrified. Do you remember so, what song you played? I think it was like a two or three song set that might have been, I think it was our originals, if I remember correctly. We were a band that kind of split between our own material because we were going to, as they said back then, make it big. Yeah. And then we also played some cover songs, which were, it was really kind of what came full circle for me, all the stuff that I started out on. And we were playing like Dokken and stuff like that. Okay. And, you know, 
my career has seen a lot of different styles and a lot of different kinds of bands before yeah. everything kind of came full circle and I ended up in Night Ranger and White Snake and things like that and playing 80s rock again. So but right. it's been kind to me. I can't really look a gift horse in the mouth, right? Seriously. Look, I mean, there's clearly a lot of interest still in it, right? So there's a you know, massive audience for this kind of stuff still to this day. Yeah. Like, we're roughly the same age, roughly. I'm a couple of years younger than you, but not like two, literally two. And that's like still the stuff that I love and listen to and grew up on. And I grew up in New Jersey. And so it's like, that was it. That's what you listen to in the 80s in New Jersey. What would you say your breakthrough gig was? Like the one where you kind of said, like, this is going to be my career. It was just like a ton of baby steps. There was really yeah. never that moment. I went from kind of playing in local bands when I was younger to killing a couple of years studying classical guitar at like, I guess, junior colleges, essentially community colleges. And then I went to GIT in Hollywood. And that was kind of like an interesting year of playing a lot of guitar and worked at Cherokee Recording Studios out there for a year and really wasn't gigging at all. And then I went back to Chicago, ton of teaching and would supplement that with gigs. And then mm-hmm. everything just kind of picked up until eventually the first time I became a primarily somebody playing gigs and not teaching was moving to New York to play in the show called Love Janice. It was a theater show about Janis Joplin. And that kind of took me from guitar teacher supplementing with gigs to somebody who was playing gigs for a living. And I didn't do any teaching. (laughs) I was like, I thought maybe I was going to miss it, but I didn't at all. So there you go. And then tons of baby steps. I mean, I could track the whole progression, but it'd be right. That's the way a music career is built, just like anything else. If the edge quit you too, they're not going to hire the kid in his mom's basement who hasn't played a gig. You have to be somebody who's played at a very similar level to be able to become, I guess, indoctrinated into that, right? They're not going to trust somebody who doesn't know what it's like to step out on the stage in front of 50,000 people with in-ears in and have a guitar rig and have a guitar tech and understand the process of traveling. And so there's all these things that you have to go through, steps that you just keep climbing. Yeah. Yeah. As you're saying that, it feels like Adam Lambert skipped a bunch of steps, right? Like he went from, well, American Idol, which is a pretty big deal to in front of 50,000 people with Queen. That's a, a rare, uh, <laughs> a rare skip. Yeah, that's a rare skip. I mean, and he probably did gig and pay his dues a little more than sure. people realize. So yeah, I mean, occasionally that does happen where somebody gets like, it was really not the case with me. There's lots of like really great moments where it's like, wow, I got this gig or I got that gig. But yeah. I always say to people, I didn't go from point A to point Z. I kind of went through the alphabet. Right, which is great. So look, based on what I can tell, and, and I'm curious what I'm missing here, you're doing live touring with Whitesnake, with Cher, with Night Vision was back in the past, a TSO. You're writing for Guitar World. Seems like you've got some side projects. You do these master classes I've seen. Do you give lessons as well? I've been given some Skype lessons during this, yeah. Yeah. And then I've seen you do remote collaboration, at least again, via Instagram on the road. Like, why do all of this? Like, what benefits do you get out of this? I don't get the sense that most musicians do all of this. Well, I mean, it's always been my philosophy to be productive every day. I think that's really the fundamental building block to success is breaking it down into daily increments. You can't just say, hey, man, I'm going to be really, really productive. That Like tomorrow, I'm going to work really, really hard. It has to be the day that you're in. 
and do the best you can to keep taking steps forward because you will ultimately get back what you put into it in my experience. So every day I try to have something that is feeding into that. So whether that be practicing, if there's really nothing happening, I'm still going to pick up my guitar and play for a couple hours. So I guess my philosophy has always been, why shouldn't I get paid for those two hours of practice rather than just practice? So a lot of people will take the two hours and make a video for YouTube, say, and that's great. That's exposure. But I also like to have the session thing or teaching lessons. My time on the guitar for me is always better if I'm in the real world a little bit, getting paid, Mm -hmm. feeling like a professional. And at the end of the day, you're a guitar player when you're a guitar player. I mean, you have to play guitar to be a guitar player, right? I mean, it's like you you can't just... (laughs) You can't just say uh, whatever, sell stereos and say, someday I'm going to be a guitar player or call yourself one, right? Yeah, I think you can say you, that. <laughs> usually, yeah, as soon as there's one plan where you can not be a guitar player, that's going to take over because it's going to be a thousand times easier than being a guitar player. Yeah. To become a professional musician, when you refer to yourself as a failed musician, it's like, dude, do you have any idea how many people I've seen fall off the list in my lifetime? I mean, so a whole lot of it is just persistence too, which I think some of that comes from the passion of it because especially for me, things didn't take off till later. So I had to go through all those years of being the uncool guy, the thing, the the guy at the family uh, get togethers who was always looked at like the loser because he didn't have the great paying job and didn't get the college degree in business or whatever. So you always had to be the loser until you become the winner and then everybody wants to come along right. for the ride and then you have to take the high road and say absolutely you're welcome to be because <laughs> otherwise you're a jerk and so but that's the reality of it is that i think ultimately you just have to be the person who has the passion to ride through those difficult times you have to have a sense of urgency and recognize that a window is always shutting on you so to be able to go through there there has to be a sense of urgency like last year i toured 285 days out of the year and a lot of people were like, dude, why are you doing this? Why are you juggling three things? And it's like, well, right now is why I'm doing that because COVID-19 has hit and now there's really, nobody's really touring. So right. that's uh, now, thankfully, I don't have to be one of those guys freaking out going, man, how am I going to pay my bills next month? Right. Granted, I don't want this to go on because it's going to burn my savings. But at the same time, like, I don't have that ultimate panic setting right. in that most musicians would. The window can close so easily. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, and I'm going to get back to that coronavirus thing in a second. I'm curious if there's a recent time that you can share where one of these, I'm going to call them side gigs, but they don't sound like just part of all of your gigs, but one of these other activities other than just live touring led to something bigger or created some kind of a better thing or a new gig or a new project or anything. Nonstop, man. Every single And you could trace almost all of them back to doing some kind of work that made absolutely no sense to be doing, (laughs) like doing hours and hours of work for barely any money. And everybody would be like, well, I'm not going to do that. So I was the guy that would do those crazy things. I always had the saying, extraordinary people do extraordinary things. And if you break down Mm -hmm. the word, that means extraordinary. You can't do what everybody else does and expect to be the guy who's going to get ahead. You have to do the thing that like most people would be like, no. So I kind of like cherish the moment where I'm actually doing work when most people wouldn't do it, because that's when I realize that's the difference maker. That's the moment that you're getting further ahead than most people. So 
Specifically, I got Night Ranger through doing Jim Peterick's world stage gigs, which involved learning like 36 songs by memory and going in on no rehearsal and playing the shows back in Chicago. So I would memorize like 36 songs and Kelly Kagi, the drummer from Night Ranger, would be a special guest and go out and sing the hits. So maybe three of the songs would be with him. Yeah. But when Night Ranger had an availability for a gig, their guitar player who was Reb at the time, oddly enough, he Reb needed to miss a show with them. Uh-huh. So that Kelly said, well, I guess we got to cancel the gig or, or the band was saying that. And Kelly goes, wait a minute. I know this guy that plays a Jim Peterick that can learn 36 songs that come in on like no rehearsal and play the gig down. And he can play Jeff's eight finger technique and all that stuff. And that's what got me in Night Ranger. So it was really the insanity of learning 36 songs, which took weeks. I mean, that was not like a, hey, let me get this down over the course of like two days. This is like, I would prep for that show for three weeks. And I mean, I don't want to get too specific in what I get paid, but let's just say I earned way, I probably earned less than a dollar an hour, like doing something like that by the time it was said and done. So it would make like any job look like high paying, but it paid off, right? Yeah. And literally everything I've done is like that. The Rock of Ages gig on Broadway, which ran for over six years, I subbed for a friend of mine on pit gigs. He would have a book and that, again, would take about three weeks to learn about 300 pages of music before you get an opportunity to go in and sub. Right. You'd stress your ass off because you're like, you know, hey, man, I'll be... <laughs> I'm sitting in the pit on Broadway with all these professionally trained musicians following a conductor, and it's not exactly what we grow up doing playing Black Sabbath songs. So it's definitely out of my element to a degree. But again, doing that and those shows and challenging myself to do that, again, dollar an hour at least to learn all those books with what I made. And then I got Rock of Ages, which changed my whole financial reality. It ran for over six years. I could take off whenever I wanted to be able to still tour at that time with Night Ranger. Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And that really changed my financial reality. It took me from being a struggling guy to the guy with some money in the bank. Right. These stories go on and on, dude. I mean, it's like the persistence, having Night Ranger and Rock of Ages and TSO, but seeing Whitesnake was available, sending out video to Red Beach and hearing nothing back, but yet having the persistence to go, I got to get an audition. Like, how can I not get an audition for this? And then thinking, wait a minute, who would know David Coverdale? I bet Phil Carson from when I filled in for Mick Jones and Foreigner, which is another story we should talk about because it also involves this kind of persistence and like doing the things that most people would not do. But I just pressed and got Phil to reach out to David, got an audition. And here I am five years later in the band. And I just think, man, if I literally had that one moment where I thought about And, you know, I was watching The Last Dance last night, the Bulls documentary here on ESPN. And there was a moment where Michael Jordan literally thought about quitting sports. He told his mom he didn't want to play sports anymore. So think think about the way lives are changed by simple decisions that you make and just like a little bit of persistence and how that can alter your reality and and get you further ahead. The foreigner thing was being on tour with Night Ranger at the time, opening for Foreigner and Journey. It was, we were setting records in venues, like 23,000, 24,000 people a night. Well, Mick Jones got sick and I basically was presented with an opportunity to fill in for him for a while, but I only had a day to learn the set. They were like, we need somebody like to learn this today. And 
I, that's a lot of stress, right? Because you yeah. go, well, wait a minute, I'm already playing with Night Ranger. And I think a lot of people would have just said like, hey, man, you know what? This yeah. is like, it's too much stress. Like, I just don't want to stress out. I could enjoy my day. But I went for it because I think ultimately the hunger and the desire to try and prove that I'm something more than just like the norm. And a lot of that isn't necessarily talent. It's just like the determination to do this yeah. stuff. And so I got after it and learned it and flew down to Virginia Beach. And there I was like literally 24 hours later playing with Night Ranger, freaking out, going like, oh, my God, in like an hour, I'm playing with Foreigner or not even an hour. And like half an hour, I'm going to be on stage with Foreigner playing their songs. And I've just learned these. And is it all going to be there in my head? You know, 20,000 people in the audience, all right. the guys from Journey with their arms folded, stand and watching to see what was going to happen because it was... <laughs> Everybody was thinking the tour is over if Mick isn't going right. to be there. It's going to be a problem. Maybe you have to get a different band or whatever, right. you know? So it was a big, big moment. And literally, it's like every single one of these moments. My Trans-Siberian Orchestra tenure, which is now 10 years. Wow. I auditioned for them when their guitar player needed, he, he got another gig, right? Uh -huh. So they needed somebody for maybe only a year. I had some friends in the band put my name in for an audition first audition i felt silly doing like the rock moves on video they had me playing by myself at a rehearsal hall and i was already a pro who was used to performing on stage so i thought i'm not throwing my hair around and like doing all this stuff for like nobody while i'm playing all by myself i can't do it like there's a certain level of like throwing shapes and all that stuff that has to happen yeah for me and at first i didn't get the gig because uh -huh. i think they thought oh he doesn't have any stage presence which is huh. kind of funny because that's more or less what I'm known for these days and right. for being flamboyant on stage. And so what happened is a little while later, I was on America's Got Talent as a musical guest with Rock of Ages. Uh -huh. And I thought, I already thought, well, that ship has sailed. I didn't get the TSO gig, but I just happened to take the link and just email it to the talent director and just say, hey, I know I probably didn't get the gig, but if this changes anybody's mind, I was just on America's Got Talent. Next thing I knew, I had a second audition and I got the gig. So it's wow. that should change everybody's mind because they saw me perform and that changed everything. But you're reaching out, right? I mean, you're actively pursuing this stuff. You're not waiting it for it come to you. You're creating these opportunities. Creating it, definitely. I think you definitely create your own destiny. And I mean, to a degree, right? There's always going to be things that can happen beyond our control. But I think to a large degree, we control our own destinies. I'm a big believer in working hard and creating that for ourselves. So yeah, absolutely. And hence the thing about every day. Like I just don't take right. a day off. Right. And that kind of leads to maybe something better than like I think a lot of people might take this opportunity to like, hey man, I've, I've been touring like really hard and now that I'm locked down and you know what? I'm just not going to play guitar every night, but I've been in my recording area working on my album every night for my side project and doing sessions right. for people and teaching Skype lessons and you, know, you got to stay productive. You got to keep doing what you love to do. And even that includes talking with you because this is, in a sense, enhancing who I am, I guess, promoting me, right? Yeah. So all this stuff, it's all in the same file. I might not be practicing my guitar right now, but this is good for me ultimately as well to be talking with you. So, yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? The thing is, know, bro. The way things work nowadays with promotion is that doesn't even matter if you are or aren't. That what's happened is back in the day, a lot of musicians used to say, well, I'm not doing that guys.com. I'm going to wait until I get an interview with, say, Rolling Stone or something like that, right? right? 
nobody reads Rolling Stone anymore. So you know what? Like it's getting to the point where all those mom and pop basement things, if you post it on your social media and you get people to share it, then that's every bit as important as something on rollingstone.com, right? I mean, if you can get it out and get other outlets to share that, then that gives you an opportunity to reach people. And there's really no such thing as like too small a publicity anymore in my eyes. Like I can take any interview and post it on my social media and instantly I've got thousands of people seeing it. So why wouldn't that be worth my while? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And that's, I do the same thing with my gig. Like, at this point, I've achieved a certain level of success where people say, well, why did you take that podcast recording or why? Like you take you say yes to everything. I said, yeah, so yes to everything, because everything's an opportunity to get the story out there, which is super interesting. Work creates work. I think that's a rule. Definitely. And all those mm-hmm. things that I'm talking about are moments where I worked. It made no sense. Or sometimes like the White Snake and the uh, TSO was more about the uh, I guess just determination, right? Just being determined to get the opportunity. But I think often it comes down to just doing a whole lot of work that makes zero sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you sometimes. Like, man, sometimes. why would you even be doing that, dude? You know? Yeah, I'm spending a lot of time, especially these days in this chair, doing the same thing. I've got two more questions for you. I want to be respectful of the time that we carved out for this. So I don't want to go over. So, global shutdown, coronavirus, touring's out of the question right? Sadly, live shows are not happening right now, which is making me very sad. How are the other activities, and you've touched on this a little bit, but how are the other activities you've been doing helping you work and stay connected and improving? So these other things that you've done, how have they sort of become the safety net for live touring now being out of the question? Well, I don't know that they're the necessarily the safety net. They're just about being productive. So you just find avenues to remain productive and do that every day. And then if you're the guy who's doing that and not just saying, well, I mean, why am I going to play guitar? I'm not going to be touring. Or So it's just about kind of keeping yourself working and mm-hmm. being a productive person. I mean, I think in the end, I definitely, I just believe work creates work and I'll get back what I put into it. Yep. Awesome. Last question. So this is an interesting question. And again, some people, especially celebrities rely on their fame for this. But one thing you're very good at is building community, a network around you, around your music, your other activities. And I'd say, what advice do you have for others, musicians or otherwise, right, to build their network? And why has that been important to you? It's important to me because I've struggled for so long to get it to the level it's at. I think I kind of came from an area where I wasn't supposed to be able to do all of this. So came a long way just mm-hmm. to even be doing what I'm doing, which some people might completely still dismiss as nothing, but I'm proud of it. I was proud of myself when I was just being able to make a living playing guitar, which is difficult enough. Anyway, I guess... How do you build a community? For me, it's just being appreciative and being humble, like genuinely about it. Not like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to be like fake about it, but I try to like go through and respond to everybody on social media that inboxes me every day, which is no small task. I mean, yeah. I probably respond to 250 inboxes a day, which a lot of my friends are like, dude, you're out of your mind. Why are you doing that? But I think like, because I made that the norm in my life now here, years later, I feel like there's a lot of people who support me. I appreciate that. I've kind of showed them that. And I think it's a two way street. And I think that they've become a little more vocal in their support of me. Right. And- support me with a little more fervor and don't know exactly how to phrase it, but I mean, they just support me 
at a higher level, I think, because of that. So again, that's all part of the being productive thing. So like, hey, man, I got a, an hour of free time right now. Do I stare at the TV or do I pick up my phone and go through the inboxes and write back to people? Right. Not lying. It can, there's times where it can be like, oh, man, like too many, you know. But <laughs> so, and I'm often very brief with people. My replies are usually just a couple words, two, three words, a phrase, maybe a couple phrases, but that's because right. it has to be. I mean, sure. if, I, if I, otherwise, I mean, I'd literally be just doing that all day. So I think in the end, building the community thing that's just out of having your humility in check and having a level of understanding of where you sit in the big picture. Right. That's awesome, man. That's really good. Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so, I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at gothealth.co and let me know.